Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of the people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So, for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Thanks, Sarah, so much. Uh, we're starting uh, today a series that will continue through the rest of the term called um, Stories of Church Planting. And if you're around in G2 last term, you know we made various announcements about church plant that uh, Ellie and Josh and the team are going to lead. Uh, so some more updates about that will follow, no doubt, in the next few weeks. But I also wanted us to uh, look uh, on a few Sundays at the whole subject of church planting to uh, up our engagement with this whole idea. Um, as I go through this talk, you'll pick up uh, various things that I think uh, challenges and encourages and provokers as a church community to what planting out a new church will mean. And my take on this is that this is not just a one-time deal, but this is a transition for us as G2 into some, well, from something that's, that was established and planted itself into a phase where we will be sending out not just one, but other things, other plants or other new uh, initiatives. Uh, now, in some ways, we are under-resourced for that. Maybe we should wait a few more years. Uh, maybe we should put it on the back burner. But my hunch is uh, this is the year to press forward with that. And who knows who God might send, what may happen, what may develop this year that may actually accelerate that process. Also, if you heard the interview that we did uh, before Christmas, uh, the three of us, uh, then we, we also tried to make it clear that this idea of church planting isn't so much that some people leave, but that all of us, whether we are being sent or whether we are the senders, are engaged with the enterprise. That's a very different way of thinking about it. Uh, because it isn't therefore, oh, well, that's something those guys are doing. It's something we are all involved in, whether you feel called to stay or whether you feel called now to be sent or, for some of you have told me, whether you feel called to go not now but maybe with the next one or the one after that. 
So it's really important that we uh, are able to talk about this, unpick it, uh, learn and think through what does it mean for us as a community. I know that this Sunday uh, probably about half of us aren't here, but they'll hear it on the recording, they'll pick it up on the other talks. I wanted us to look today at this story of this church um, in Antioch. And uh, this church in Antioch was established through the persecution of Christians in Jerusalem. Every church has a story of why it began. It may have been uh, planned and prayed over and strategically launched at the right moment, but this church, in a way, happened by way of accident. In fact, those that planted the church, as they were doing it, didn't even realise they were doing that. They were just refugees seeking safety in another place, and they just happened to move somewhere else, gathered as a community, continued to do church as they'd learnt it, and out of it, uh, church planting and a, new, and a new church was established. So even as we engage with this subject of church planting, we kind of need to know, I think, God has got a sense of humour. We might make all sorts of plans and strategies, timescales, two years and this, two years and this, two years and this. We might put pins on the map, and that's all well and good, but God may have all sorts of surprising things up his sleeve, like this story in Antioch, ways in which uh, new initiatives begin and start. Antioch became an incredibly significant church in the ancient world. So this church was the first uh, arrival, as far as we know, of Christians uh, in Antioch. And we know from external historical uh, records um, that by the turn of the next century, this was a church of 100,000 people in a city of 300,000 people. So that's a church of about 100,000 in a city about the size of Bradford, probably. That's an incredible number. One historian reckons that at that time, there were perhaps 3,000 full-time Christian workers engaged in the ministry of the church or some kind of helping those in need at that time. Imagine that. From small beginnings of a persecuted bunch fleeing to another city, wind the clock forward a generation, and they are 100,000 people with 3,000 released to do their work as part of the church. They went to a hard city. Antioch was a trade city, so it was a magnet for the good and bad of all the cultures around that as people traded that got brought into the city. It was a centre of Diana worship, which meant temple prostitution. It was known for religious child sacrifice. It was known as a city of of violence and depravity, as well as the cosmopolitan cultural mix that it had. So it's kind of like Hull on a bad day, okay? <laughs> so everyone reckons that they started a church in a hard place. Antioch was a hard place to start a church. They did well. And what we learn, if you read forward from chapter 11 through to chapter kind of 18, the story comes and goes as it follows the journeys of Paul, um, this church became a resource base, a sending base, and a missionary base, not just for the one church that was started in Antioch, but for many other that were established all around Asia Minor. So it became a key strategic 
church that itself planted itself, therefore, to plant other churches beyond. It was a church that was grafted into Jerusalem, and so as we heard in that uh, reading, uh, Barnabas comes from Jerusalem, so Jerusalem is like, for them, it was like the traditional, established, it was HQ, it was legit Christianity, and they were just this kind of ramshackle, persecuted, but still gathering together community. So Barnabas comes, and we really sees evidence of the grace of God, basically he gives it a thumbs up, goes back and gets Paul. Paul comes back to see them. And by the way, those journeys were incredible. If you can just flip the map on, Dave, that journey from Jerusalem to Antioch would have been about 500 miles. No cars or bikes. If you're lucky, maybe a donkey, probably a, maybe not a horse. Maybe a donkey to carry your stuff. That's quite a journey for Barnabas to come up all the way up, go, brilliant, grace of God, let's go back to Jerusalem, another 500 miles, get Paul, Paul, you've really got to come and see this church, the grace of God's there, come along with me, another 500 miles up to Antioch, and then they helped that church. So, that, so they, were, they were grafted also into the Christianity that had already begun in Jerusalem. And in some ways, they were ahead of the others in what they were doing. Uh, this was a cosmopolitan church, and as we'll hear in a minute, uh, a lot of that was reflected in the life of the church. One example is that they were preaching not just to the Jews, that Jesus was their Messiah, but they were also preaching to the Greeks and the Gentiles, and the Gentile just means every other nation as well. So they were already a multicultural cosmopolitan church, and they got there independent from Jerusalem church, which had the whole thing with Peter when he fell asleep and saw the vision and went to Cornelius. So by an independent strand, they also understood the mission that God has called us to is beyond just the Jewish community, but is actually the mission of God for the whole world that exists, for every nation. And that was represented in the city of Antioch. And we know that this church was so vibrant that the local community um, uh, gave them this probably slightly mocking title, Little Christians. And so the, the term Christian began, it was invented in Antioch. Now the normal way by which you've, you name somebody who believes in Jesus, that term itself began in Antioch. So I've got ten things, they won't all take as long as that, ten things to say about this church in Antioch. The first is this. Um, Barnabas, when he went, he saw evidence of the grace of God. My word, I think that's a good report. I would love someone to visit G2 and on their way out say, evidence of the grace of God. You know, that would be a great report. That's a good thumbs up for any church. And if you've ever been involved in church planting, you'll know one of the kind of basic rules of church planting is basically you multiply out what you've got. So church planting isn't the solution to our church is a nightmare. It's got so many problems. It's, it's in decline. It's going wrong. Hey, let's plant out. Maybe that will help. No, it won't help at all. Because all you'll do is you will multiply a small version of what you already are. But if you've got evidence of the grace of God, then it's like planting yeast from one batch 
to another. It's like taking a, a cutting from a living plant and reproducing it. So a recipe for church planting is actually multiplying out uh, the grace of God. Now, as we'll see later, I reckon, although they saw the grace of God, they also saw many weaknesses. It wasn't that they were a perfect church. Um, they probably had many, many, many things that needed to be improved, worked on, learned and developed. But the fundamental report, the core take of what was going on in this church is grace of God. God's there and good stuff is happening. The second thing is this. Uh, they were led by a dynamic team. They were led by a team. There were all sorts of models of how churches are led. But in Antioch, we see team leadership at its best. And you will have picked up from the reading, there were different threads of people involved in that leadership. So what, what did I notice? I noticed, so first of all, there's an existing leadership. So however that happened, just the natural leaders of the community... Um, there was some leadership in that community as they fled to Antioch and began to gather together. Then we have Paul and Barnabas, established high regard leaders in the church. They come in to help. Now, I think there would have been great grace and humility in the local team to have received in with a welcome Paul and Barnabas to also be part of the leadership that they had. Some churches wouldn't be able to handle that. It would be too big a thing. It would, be, it would, you know, it would crush the ego. It would be hard. Uh, the, the unknown leaders that were there at that time welcomed in Paul and Barnabas so that they could receive from them more of what God was doing. We also read later on um, that their leadership team at one point was made up of people called prophets and people called teachers. That sounds brilliant, unless you've ever been in a room with prophets and teachers. So let me describe prophets and teachers. Prophets, charismatic, spontaneous, um, hear from the Lord. Okay, positives. The negatives about prophets can be really annoying. Think they're always right. Love having the word themselves. Often it's like, no, 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 everyone shut up. I've got a word from the Lord. Listen to it. Um, uh, always reckon they know the way to take it forward. Teachers, okay, what are teachers are like? Learned, scholarly, uh, uh, well-versed in the truth, positives. Negatives about teachers, boring. <laughs> um, repetitive, uh, dry. Can you imagine that combination of people in a room together trying to lead the church? I think they, what grace they had to bring together such a dynamic team. In my observation, church leadership normally gravitates to one or the other as a team. And it's very hard for churches to hold that level of diversity of temperament and spiritual gift together in one team. But I reckon that could have been one of the reasons this church did so well. Next, I will speed up in a minute. Uh, they were multicultural. So we know they, they were in a multicultural city. We knew that they evangelized the Hellenistic, uh, the Jews, the Greek-speaking uh, Jews, and through that, the other nations that were represented. And we also, um, some of the names of the people that are named later, uh, Lucius and Niger. Um, so Lucius is probably a Greek name. 
Uh, Niger is probably a North African name. So this, this is a church that doesn't have a monochrome take on its leadership. It's got the diversity of the city reflected in its leadership. And again, that's, a, that's an incredible challenge. I know churches that have a large component of refugees or have, uh, have two ethnic, strong ethnic cultural groups uh, within their city. It is, it is very challenging to hold that together. It's much easier to polarise and be one or the other. But to hold both together is hard work. And then also they had a trans-local leaders. So they clearly had some leaders who stayed, who were permanently there. But then they also had these characters like Paul and Barnabas who came, did a year of teaching, then they went off, did something, then they came back, then they'd like grab 20 great people and go, right, you lot, you're all with us on our next trip, we're going to be gone for a year. And then they go off and plant a church with them and then they come back. So they had this dynamic team, local leaders, and then also these trans-local leaders who were sometimes part of the church, sometimes sent out to do more. The third thing is this, they were a church committed to prayer and fasting and listening to God. We've already mentioned uh, the leadership team uh, praying and fasting and seeking God. Um, but also Paul, uh, in one of his journeys, he has that vision while he's by the campfire. He sees the Macedonian man crying out to him, come and help us. And then from that, he goes to them and plants a church. So this is, this is a church that wasn't just doing good leadership in the business, in the organisational sense. But they were doing good leadership in the spiritual, in the praying, in the listening to God, in the, we need to fast about this because we don't know the way forward on this. So let, let's just, as a leadership team, pray and fast and maybe God will give us the answer. As a church, they were committed to it. Also, did you catch that remarkable story involving this guy called Agabus? So one day, the church is gathered and a guy called Agabus, we're just called, he's a prophet, turns up. He prophesies a famine and the church sends a financial gift that's sufficiently good, sufficiently big as a gift to be worth mentioning in this story. The gift is sent in order to help. And the famine hadn't even happened. Did you see that? So, I mean, it'd be one thing to say something has happened. Shall we have a collection and send some money to help? They were so committed to hearing from God that a guy turns up one Sunday and says, something bad's about to happen, could we send a gift now so it's there ready to help the people in need when the need comes? Fourth, they became uh, a church planting base. And uh, as I said at the beginning, I think there's a difference between um, the project of planting out one church and the idea of being a community people who want to uh, perpetually uh, plant out and send out others. This church understood that they became a base for church planting. It was established in an unusual way. It had this method where they sent out evangelistic teams. Some but not all of them went with Paul um, and Barnabas. Uh, and then Paul kind of retained the sort of headship of the churches. So he would travel around on his journeys 
and uh, visit the churches that he'd started or that were under his care and uh, he would write to them as well. So these communities that were growing, learning, they had questions, what do we do in this situation? Uh, how do we move forward from this uh, place? He visited and wrote them letters, some of which are preserved for us in the Bible, as part of this idea that they weren't just planting one church, but they became a church planting base. Fifth, I think, this was a church that was big on proclamation. Uh, this church grew because the people in it shared their faith. Their method of planting new churches was to go somewhere, find the synagogue, and preach about Jesus, see people come to faith, come back the next day, do the same thing, come back the next day, do the same thing. Once they've got enough people, right, let's start meeting as a church, and then Paul would meet on lead them to it, right, carry on doing what I've taught you to do, I'll be back in about a year to help you again, hope it goes well, any problems, send me a letter, I might send you Barnabas or one of the team to help you. This was a church big on proclaiming. They weren't shy about the message and they, they went big in proclaiming what they had to say about Jesus, not just to their city, but to the whole province. Sixthly, I think they were a generous-hearted church. Not just in the generosity of this gift, which is of sufficient monetary value to be worth writing about in the account of the church, um, but also they were generous in supporting Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas would have relied upon the, the financial generosity of that church community to fund their extensive travels. Uh, so they would have gone back to the church raise some money, and then that would have funded their next trip. This was a generous church that wasn't just looking at its budget and its needs and matching one to the other, but was looking to the wider needs and the wider opportunities and seeing how generous they could be. Also, people were sent with Paul and Barnabas, so they were generous in raising up leaders and then, uh, right, Paul, okay, you're going on your second missionary journey, brilliant, we'll send a team of some great people with you. Maybe they can help you start some of the next churches along the way. So they were generous with their money, generous with supporting uh, leaders, and generous in sending people to this wider mission task. They're also a big church. And I think that needs saying in the UK. There's something in the UK about church being small. Um, the average church size in the UK is 47 in, in a rural context, the average church size um, is 19. I have lots of clergy colleagues that I meet with, many of whom look after churches of 8, 12, 15. Now that's wonderful and generous and humble, but this church made a big impact because it was big. And we don't even know the story of how it went from maybe 50 or 100 people that gathered there through persecution to being something like 100,000 um, in size. But it grew its home base, and that would have been one of the reasons that it was so able to resource the missionary work, not just in the city, but around the whole province and beyond. Eight, this was a church that was uh, committed to partnership. Um, no doubt they had every reason to continue as an independent group 
in the grace of God. They could have sat around one day and went, do you know what, guys? The grace of God's with us. We all know it. Um, those guys in Jerusalem, they're a pain. It's 500 miles away. It's really expensive to get there. We'll just carry on as we are. But instead, there was a generosity of heart that they were willing, in a sense, to submit what they were doing to what was the established HQ of Jerusalem and then these travelling representatives of Paul um, and Barnabas. And Paul actually writes about them in, in some of his letters to other communities and he writes about his partnership in the gospel with the Antioch church. Um, at ninth, they uh, received this external apostolic ministry. We don't know particularly what Paul and Barnabas brought to them, but my inclination is Paul and Barnabas kind of watered a seed of potential within this church to do something that was bigger than just a small community that met together. And I think some of that was probably achieved by receiving in a character like Paul and a character like Barnabas. Paul probably was an annoying leader. You know, that's why he's always writing about, you know, oh, you know, you probably don't like what I'm saying, but you know it's true. And, you know, if you read the letters carefully between the line, imagine the tone of voice. Paul was probably an awkward what's-it to work with. Barnabas is the good cop, so he's just called son of encouragement. Everyone would be like, oh, Barnabas, he's so encouraging. He's so lovely. Whenever he comes around for tea, I just feel so encouraged. It's like he's a son of encouragement. So you've got, like, good cop, bad cop, but they're both, like, big vision, big picture leaders who I reckon drew out of this community a vision to invest in something that was bigger than themselves. And I think this church transitioned from its leadership just thinking, right, what are we going to preach on next Sunday? Who's going to bring the biscuits? Have you got enough people on the rotors? All good things. To thinking, how can we take what God's given us to the whole province. How could we relieve this whole famine that's going to happen by a financial gift? How could we transform the dark corners of our city so that it becomes a beautiful place to live, somewhere where God is found everywhere? Something of that big vision was called out of them by some of these big leaders like Paul and Barnabas. And the last thing, number 10, is this. They became a teaching base. And I think this is the other side of the grace of God, because although the, the generic report, the summary was evidence of the grace of God, we also know that the first thing Paul and Barnabas did is they gathered with the church for a year to teach them daily. Um, and I reckon they were probably helping them with all the little things that they'd also noticed. And we have no account of what that is. But there was sufficient volume of those things to require a year of daily teaching in order to perfect what still needed to be done in their lives. We're going to pause there. I'm going to get you to chat at your tables. And my question for you is this. What's your story of church planting? Okay? It could be you're about to go and plant a church. It could be you're saying, do you know what, I would love to do this sometime in the future. It could be you feel called to be part of the sending out. It could be you planted 50 churches and now you're you know, in church planting retirement and you're just hoping 
for a little rest and a break from it. It could be you've got a friend. could be, you know, I've met people who've said, God's told me when I'm this age, I'll be in a church plant. I don't know what your church planting story is, but I know a lot of you have got something to do with that in you. So we're going to chat at our tables, and uh, that's the question. What's your church planting story?